All right, good morning again. Good to see more faces since my last good morning. <laughs> so uh, we have now come to week six in our series in the book of Galatians. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to where we left off last week, which is in chapter four, Galatians four, uh, starting in verse eight. So before we get into this, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this chance to dive into the scriptures together. Uh, Lord, we want to hear from you. Um, so Lord, I invite you to speak to us. Um, Father, help us to be attentive to your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Um, help me to speak clearly and uh, just work among us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get into this, let me just kind of remind us of the big picture here. Some false teachers had gained a lot of influence at the church in Galatia, and the big problem with their teaching is that they insisted that everybody who wanted to be part of the family of God, everyone who wanted to be a true Christian, needed to follow all of the Mosaic law. So that meant if you were a man, you had to be circumcised, um, you couldn't eat shellfish, you couldn't wear blended fabrics, and much, much more. All these laws you needed to follow. And Paul wrote to the Galatians to say, no, you guys have lost the plot. Because of what Jesus has done, things are different now. Okay, that Mosaic law, it had a purpose, but the purpose was temporary. It was for a time until the Messiah came. The Messiah has come, so now its purpose has been served. Now we don't live under the law. Now we live under the Holy Spirit. And as we move further into Galatians, we're going to get to a point where Paul talks more specifically about what life under the Spirit looks like. Um, so if you've been wondering about that, don't worry. We're going to get to that eventually. Um, but that just gives you a big picture of what's going on in Galatians. So let's read the next section. Chapter 4, starting in verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were... Oh, sorry. Uh, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, 
for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. So, a lot of the time when we read the Bible, we ask the question, what is this telling me to do? Right? And that's an important question to ask. Uh, but another question that's sometimes helpful to ask is, what is this telling us about the way things are? What is, what is it revealing about that? And that's the question that I want us to use as we reflect on this passage this morning. What does this reveal about the way things are? And I've got four, four things I see here. So number one, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. We have a tendency to return to weak and miserable forces. We have a tendency to return to weak and miserable forces. Think about this with the Galatians. The Galatians had had, had, had a powerful experience of God. Right? It was so powerful that it converted them from pagan religion to believing in Jesus. They also had a very powerful experience of receiving the Holy Spirit. And we know that because it was so powerful that Paul used it as an argument that they had been accepted by God apart from the law. Right? He said, look, these people obviously don't need to have the Mosaic law in order to be accepted by God because we can see they've received the Holy Spirit. So clearly they had a very powerful experience of God. But, even though they had that powerful experience, now they have drifted toward weak and miserable forces. As we talked about last week, they had come to see God as Abba. Remember last week we talked about the, when the Holy Spirit fills someone, it cries out Abba Father, which means that person comes to recognize God as dad, right? As a loving parent. And in pagan religion, people didn't see the gods that way. <laughs> they did not see the gods as loving parents. So they had had this incredible shift, right? This incredible shift in perspective. But yet, they still turn toward weak and miserable forces. Now, what are these weak and miserable forces that Paul has in mind? Well, the word for forces there is the same word that would be used to describe like pagan nature spirits, the kinds of uh, false gods that the pagans would worship. So Paul is saying, it's like you've gone back to worshiping false gods, these weak, fake, false gods. And when you think about it, that's a pretty shocking thing for Paul to say, because he's not talking about people going back to worshiping Zeus or you know, worshiping the Roman emperor or something like that. Um, he's talking about people going back to the Mosaic Law. So I don't know about you, for me that raises the question, well, is he saying that the law and pagan religion are the same thing? Well, if you know Paul's perspective from other things that we've looked at, no, he does not see pagan religion and the law as exactly the same thing. Uh, Paul has been clear that that Mosaic Law, it was given by God, it was given for a set time and for a specific purpose. But now that purpose is, is finished, right? Now that Jesus has come, the law is not 
something that we need to focus on anymore. It's kind of like God has moved on to the next phase in his plan of salvation history. So to go back to the law is to go back to something that God has moved on from. You're not going to find God there now. See what I mean? So it's kind of like they're just going back to pagan religion because they're going back to where God is not now. Hopefully that makes sense. You know, it might sound harsh for Paul to call the law a weak and miserable force, but it is weak if we're looking to it to gain acceptance from God, if we're looking to the law to save us. Remember, Paul said that the whole purpose of the Mosaic Law was really to expose our sinfulness. And that means the law never had power to save. The law only had power to condemn. In one of Paul's other letters, his letter to the Romans, he says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So there you have it. The law was powerless to save. The law was powerless to rescue us from our problem with, with sin and death. It, could, it never was able to do that. If that's what we were looking to it to do, it is weak. Weak and miserable. Okay? But what the law could not do, Jesus did on our behalf by dying on the cross for our sins. So, the Galatians had had this powerful experience of God, shifted from thinking of God as sort of this... Um, you know, nature force, to seeing God as parent, as Abba. But they had given up that intimacy with God for law. Paul says, you are observing, sorry, Paul says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And what he means is that their religious practice has become all about these ceremonial observances you know, festivals and, and that sort of thing. And there was, in the Mosaic Law, specifications about that sort of thing, and it seems like they kind of latched on to that because that was the part of the law that reminded them of their former pagan religion. And they're assuming that by observing these times of year that that's going to make them acceptable to God. And Paul thought, this is tragic. This is tragic. You have exchanged God as Abba, for God as pagan nature spirit. All right, so let's get back to the point here. What does this reveal about the thing, the way things are? You know, yes, our circumstances are very different in the 21st century. Um, we're not exactly the same as the Galatians in the first century by any stretch of the imagination, but human nature doesn't change. Fundamentally, we're all the same, right? So we also, like the Galatians, have a tendency to return to weak and miserable forces. Now, of course, there are not a lot of Christians today who are doing that by, you know, trying to follow all of the Mosaic law. I mean, I haven't witnessed much of that going on. But there are other ways that we exchange our relationship with the living God for weak and miserable forces. And 
I think one trend that I see going on right now that I think we need to be careful about is a trend towards what's called deconstruction. Um, hopefully that's familiar to some of, some of you. I've noticed it's very common today to hear people who have a history with the church say something like, I'm deconstructing my faith. And you know, what they mean by that is something like, well, I'm reevaluating the things that I've believed to be true. Um, I'm reevaluating whether they are actually true, reevaluating whether they are good, you know, and whether um, the way that I've lived out my faith is really the right way to do it. Now, I want to be clear, okay, some deconstruction is healthy and is necessary to the journey of faith. Um, you know, the Galatians, for example, they needed to deconstruct their belief that the law was essential to being accepted by God. Right? That was a, a belief they had to deconstruct. They needed to reevaluate it. And over the course of my own journey of faith, um, I have had to reevaluate a lot of assumptions that I held and change my mind. I've had to take ideas apart and discard some of them. Um, you know, some of you were here when I did the Revelation series and I talked about how, you know, over time studying Revelation, the views that I just assumed to be true about the end times have completely changed from what they used to be when I was in my teens. Um, that's part of the journey of faith. This, this, that's healthy deconstruction, always evaluating. Um, you know, does this assumption that I have line up with the gospel? Does it actually line up with what scripture says? Is it actually good? Okay, that's, that's healthy deconstruction. But there's also a dark side to this deconstruction trend. Which is that, you know, some people, as the old saying goes, are throwing out the baby with the bathwater. They're kind of tossing everything away. Um, if you think of your faith like a house, okay, imagine that a house represents your faith. Healthy deconstruction is always assessing, okay, which parts of the house are rotting or moldy or, you know, um, sagging and need to be repaired. But unhealthy deconstruction is an attitude of just, I'm just going to take a wrecking ball to this house, knock it down. And all you're left with is rubble. It's important for us to recognize you cannot sustain a healthy relationship with God if you are constantly doubting and questioning that relationship. You know, for those of you who are married, can you imagine how healthy your relationship would be if every day you said to your spouse, I'm reevaluating whether or not I love you. No, I'm reevaluating whether I should have married you. You can't have a healthy relationship that way, right? And similarly, a relationship with God can't be healthy, it can't be vibrant, if it's just constantly being subjected to this kind of unhealthy deconstruction, uh, doubt and questioning. Healthy deconstruction is guided by a deep desire to be faithful to Jesus, right? And so to remove uh, and repair any parts of the house that don't line up. Uh, with, with Jesus. It's, it's guided 
by that voice of the Holy Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. Right? That's healthy deconstruction. But unhealthy deconstruction is guided by cynicism, uh, by bitterness, by a desire to just rebel sometimes against whatever we've known in the past. Sometimes it's guided by a desire to just conform to whatever is uh, culturally fashionable. And what I see happening uh, in some segments of the American church right now is some people are doing something very similar to what the Galatians did. Uh, only instead of exchanging the Abba Father relationship for law, they're exchanging the Abba Father relationship for this unhealthy deconstruction, for something that's very vague and very cynical, and, and really something that's weak and miserable. And just, I just want to be clear here, okay? I don't want to sound unsympathetic to those who go down that path of deconstruction, because believe me, I get it. I understand the things that happen, the experiences you have, the questions you have that can lead in that direction. But I want to encourage us, okay, in this time of, of deconstruction and doubt where that is so fashionable, don't be cynical about the experiences with God that you've had. Don't be cynical about that voice in you that cries out, Abba, Father. Okay, choose to listen to that voice. You have a choice to make. You can be cynical about that or you can trust it. Choose to trust it. All right, so this brings me now to the second thing that I think this passage reveals about the way things are, which is we have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget. You might remember earlier in the letter, Paul said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Now, why was he astonished? because he knew what a powerful experience of God they had had. He knew what their conversion was like. He knew about what it was like when the Holy Spirit filled them and the stark transformation they had gone through. And he's thinking, I just can't believe that you guys have, are, are, are drifting away from the truth. So what does this show us? It shows us that we have this remarkable capacity to forget. To forget the experiences with God that we've had. And, you know, not just to forget our experiences with God that we've had, but also to forget our positive experiences with the church. You know, Paul is really shocked by how they've forgotten him, right? How they've turned against him. Uh, he recalls how, you know, the first time that he was with them, he says, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Which is, he doesn't mean that literally, obviously. It's an expression like, you know, he would give you the shirt off his back or he would give you his right arm. You know, he's just saying, you guys were so kind to me. You treated me so well. You listened to what I had to say. You trusted me. And he says, he basically says, now I feel like I've become your enemy. The people were forgetful. They were forgetful about what Paul was like and what he had done in their lives. 
You know, I think that this tendency for us to forget is one of the reasons why unhealthy deconstruction is so common right now. You know, some people seem willing to knock down the entire house of their faith because they've forgotten the ways that God has worked in their lives. Right? They've, they've forgotten the experiences they've had of, of the presence of God. And this is really one of the reasons why spiritual disciplines are so important. You know, disciplines like prayer and fellowship, you know, being in weekly worship, studying the Bible, right? These, these practices are important because we are forgetful, right? Because they help us to remember. And, and not just to remember facts, but to remember the experiences, the, the, the feeling of, of the presence of God. And they, you know, they help us to provide new experiences of God. And, and what this passage reminds us is, is that if we don't make an effort to remember, we forget, no matter how powerful our initial experiences are. You know, and then something else the passage shows us is how quickly we can turn against people who have blessed us. You know, one of the things this makes me think about is how, you know, over the last few years, obviously we've been living in a very divisive cultural climate, right? And there are a lot of relationships that have been severed in that climate. You know, people will end up disagreeing over politics or social issues or, you know, the pandemic has been a whole other source of, of division. And now, listen, I want to be clear. I believe that what we think about those kinds of things, it matters. I don't think that all opinions are equally valid on those things. But what's sad to me is that in the cultural climate that we're in, a lot of people will like immediately forget years of positive experiences with a person because they hear them say something that makes them go, oh, they're one of them. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like all of a sudden, years of trust that's been developed, years of you know, being a vehicle of grace to somebody else, friendship, and, and it's all forgotten. It's all lost. It's like, oh, you're one of them. That's it. We need to practice the discipline of remembering the good the good in our interactions with other people. You know, we have a tendency more to remember the bad and forget the good. We, we need to practice the discipline of remembering the good and letting go of the bad. Especially in the church. All right, a third thing that I see this revealing about the way things are is that there is a competition for our zeal. There is a competition for our zeal. Right, Paul says about the false teachers, these people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. So the false teachers, they had this agenda to make the people zealous for following the Mosaic Law, right? And their zeal also was wrapped up in they wanted people to be zealous about them, 
right? There was a self-interested motivation there. And so they were competing uh, for the people's zeal. And similarly today, we need to recognize there are always groups that are competing for, for our zeal. You know, groups that are saying, you need to be angry about this. <laughs> you know, causes that people are trying to recruit us for, right? There are always groups that are trying to tell us, these are the bad guys, and, and these are the good guys, and this is what you should care about, and this is what you shouldn't care about. And some people, like the false teachers, are zealous to win us over for no good. Now, obviously it's too big of a task for us to try and look at all the major causes that are out there in the world right now and to ask, oh, is this something that is a, you know, asking us to be zealous for something that's good or something that's asking us to be zealous for something that's not good. But I, what I just want us to recognize right now is that there is always a competition for our zeal going on. Always. Just like in Galatia. Only now, it's like a hundred times more intense because of media and social media. And, and it's exhausting, right? And we all need to recognize we have a limited emotional reservoir, right? You have a limited amount of zeal that you can give. So, you need to decide which things are worth giving your zeal to. And so, as followers of Jesus, we should always be asking when we sense that something or someone is competing for our zeal, is this something that is worth giving my zeal to? Is it something that Jesus would give his zeal to? You know, if you've read the Gospels, you can ask yourself, can I envision Jesus giving his zeal to this thing? Can I envision Jesus being angry about this. Before we just get carried away with the currents of zeal, you know, that, that are pulling us in every direction, that's the kind of question that we have to wrestle with, that, that we have to ask ourselves. Galatians shows us that our zeal uh, can be appealed to for the wrong reasons and that we can fall prey to that. So we've got to be careful. Okay? Finally, one more thing that this reveals about the way things are. Creating a, church creating a church community that reflects Jesus is hard. Creating a church community that reflects Jesus is hard. Look at verse 19. Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So Paul is trying to guide the church so that Christ is formed in it. What does that mean? It means he's, he's trying to help shape this body of believers so that they reflect the heart and character of Jesus. The journey of faith is supposed to be that each of us as, a, as an individual is in this process of having Christ formed in us. We're being made into little Christ. We're being, being made into people who reflect the heart and character of Jesus. And every collective church is supposed to be that, a body that is having Christ formed in it. And what Paul says here should remind us, that process, it's not easy. It's just not, right? He compares it to giving birth. And I've never done that, but I know it's really hard, right? Now, I realize that might sound like a really depressing note to end on, but I actually find it encouraging 
because it means it's normal to encounter resistance when we try to build a healthy church community. I think sometimes I have assumed that if you just do the right things, it's going to be smooth sailing. And I've realized that's not true. <laughs> it's never just smooth sailing. You know, church communities, they always have to deal with sin. They always have to deal with conflict. Sometimes they have to deal with pandemics. And once you deal with one thing, there's a new thing to deal with. And that's the way it is. It's an ongoing battle, right? But it's worth it because as we struggle, Christ is formed in us. It's in the struggle that Christ is formed. And when you think about it, that makes sense, right? How could we reflect Christ without any struggle? Christ went to the cross, right? Part of how we reflect Christ is by going through that struggle. So this is the thought I want to end on. You know, the last year and a half has not been easy for our church. And I don't think it's been easy for any church. I've talked to a lot of pastors in the area. I don't know anyone that's like, oh yeah, this is the best time we've had. It's been really hard. But here's, here's what we should be encouraged by. Ever since the beginning, the church has always had to struggle to be what it's meant to be. Ever since the beginning, the church has always had to struggle to be what it is meant to be. It always has. And yet, here we are, 2,000 years later. The church still endures, right? Jesus said that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Despite the Galatians falling into legalism, the gates of hell did not prevail against it. And you know, despite trends of radical deconstruction, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Despite our tendency to forget, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, despite the fact that sometimes we give our zeal to the wrong things, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church has always had to struggle to be what it is meant to be. But the struggle is worth it, and the gates of hell will not prevail, and that's the way that things are. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would encourage us this morning. The way that things are can be really hard. But Christ is being formed in us. You're working on us, Lord. You've started a good work and you're going to carry it to completion. Father, may we be sensitive to your Spirit's leading as we decide where to place our zeal. Lord, may we be sensitive to your Spirit as he seeks to remind us of what is true. Lord, help us not to turn to weak and miserable things. Lord, help us not to exchange that Abba Father relationship for something vague or cynical or diluted, Lord. Help us to remember who we are, 
that we are your sons and daughters and that you call us into relationship with you. Thank you that we live under the Spirit and not under the law. In Jesus' name, amen.